First Corinthians, 15th chapter. On Christina's taking a nursing test, something where she's got they got a watch or something. I don't know what kind of test it is, but a lot of going. Anyway, First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. We've got just two more chapters. This chapter, I'm, I hate to say that it's one of the most important chapters because they're all important chapters. But there's more in this chapter that we really must stand on. And so I don't expect to get through it tonight. So if you wanted to call it something, you could call this whole chapter the resurrection chapter. But of course, that's not all that's in it. But it is, there's more about Christ's resurrection and our resurrection than any other chapter in the Bible. <clears throat> so we'll read a few verses here. Moreover, brethren, of course he's talking to the church at Corinth. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or suitable to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. I'm going to stop there. Now we'll go back over this. So he's writing, he's addressing the church at Corinth as with all of the whole letter. But he says, I declare unto you the gospel. I've made the statement, and I don't think I'm the originator of it, but the gospel is a declaration. You've got all kinds of questions and statements in English grammar. You've got interrogatory. Anybody remember that? Question. A statement that's a question. All right. But you have declarative statements. They're not asking a question. They're not begging a question. They're making a plain declaration of fact. You can see that word 
in, as it's used in the New Testament. And every time, it's clearly God declared something. God said, Jesus declared, and it's a de declaration. People act like that, that we old people, a sick, sympathetic, begging to present the gospel to them. And that's not what it is at all. Preaching the gospel is a declaration. It is a declaration. It's not even an invitation. It is a declaration. And that really needs, needs to be emphasized. Now there's a little controversy Mark Fennison is kind of dealing with. Some brethren have said that uh, if the preacher that preaches the gospel to you doesn't believe the five points of Calvinism, you can't be saved. Well, now, that's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. It's not the declarer that saves you. It is the declaration that is the power of God unto salvation. And it doesn't matter who says it. Who delivers it? Doesn't matter. That's the thing about the, the parable of the sower. A sower went forth to sow. The main things about that parable is that you got to have a sower. Didn't say who. Didn't talk about their legacy that they're going to leave. What you're going to write on their tombstone. Or if they even have a tombstone. Just got to be a sower. It's got to be a warm body. But it's got to sow the seed. The good seed. There, there are the two criteria. To fulfill that position. It's got to be the good seed. Which is the word of God. And in this case it's the gospel. Of God. Alright so. It doesn't matter who, who declares it. The message is the issue here. And that is the gospel. And Paul said I. Preached it. Declared it unto you. Which also you've received. So the gospel is something that is declared. And if it is received. He said, and wherein you stand, you stand in it. So with, with the gospel, there's the message. And we get that in just a minute. That is the message. And we must declare that. And when one receives it, then we find out later that it's God prepares the soil. And provides the saving Repentance and faith. But it's also follow up. What is the follow up to the preaching of the gospel. The reception of the gospel. And what is the follow up. Standing in the gospel. It's something you never veer from. I'm afraid a lot have done it. But I'm sure that. Don't believe they received it. Like they should have. He says, by which also ye are saved. That is the gospel. If you keep in memory what I 
declared unto you, preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, can one believe in vain? Well, vanity is emptiness. No substance. And believing without truly believing. And that's what believing in vain is. Now, someone has believed in vain, they're not saved. For I delivered, gave it over to you. First of all, that which I also received. That eliminates circumstances. Most of us have different circumstances when we're saved. We can't we can't demand that everybody have the same circumstances we have. I don't know any of us that had Paul's circumstances. On the road to, to persecute believers, and he's, as they say, arrested on the road to Damascus by the Holy Spirit, blinded, and the Lord did a work of grace in him, and he believed. Not when he got baptized, on the road to Damascus. So, I hadn't had that kind of experience. Nine-year-old child can't have experience like that. My experience, I re related the other day, uh, I don't know when, one of the services. Uh, I knew I was going to hell. It was on my heart and my mind that I was going to die and go to hell. And I knew I deserved to go. But I heard what Brother Walker said when he's preaching the gospel. That Christ died for my sins. And he was buried and rose again the third day. And if I trust him, I'd be saved. And I did. I still do. Amen. That hadn't changed. I'm older than dirt. But it hadn't changed. It just hadn't changed. That's what I, that's all I was trusting in as a nine-year-old to save me. And as a near 80-year-old, that's all I'm trusting in to save me. Hadn't, hadn't changed a bit. So, that which I also received. Paul received the same gospel. Just like all of us. Even though he had those fantastic surrounding circumstances, the circumstances didn't save him. It was a gospel that was the power of God unto salvation. Now, where did he hear it? Well, we know that he heard it from Stephen, that preaching deacon. Now, did he hear it any place else? Well, he probably heard it some other places too, but we know at least that he heard it from, from Stephen. As Stephen was getting ready to be rocked to sleep, stoned to death, Stephen preached the gospel. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus was there, given the authority to go ahead and kill him. And he heard the gospel there. So did the Lord use the gospel? Yes, he did. That's all he does use. <clears throat> so there you had, a, you had a preacher, Stephen. You had the good seed, the gospel and you had the results 
brought forth by the sovereign work of the sovereign spirit of God. He said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. It's good for a preacher to receive the gospel before his preacher. Doesn't always happen. When I was trying to get my life in line with the Lord, I was still on the city fire department. You work one day, 24 hours and 48 hours off. And uh, the church I was a member of was Southern Baptist Church. And they announced there that, that uh, the Baptist Community Center, I don't know whether they still got it or not, one of those great big old beautiful homes, as you used to go over the uh, Main, West Main Street, the Viaduct, to go around to High Street. As you'd go over there, of course, there's one way. you go over to the stop sign and go to the right. Directly in front of you, about a four-story big old, great big old uh, Gothic mansion. Brick and beautiful, beautiful place. And the Elkhorn Association of Southern Baptists owned that building. And they had a couple of women missionaries that, that were running it. And kind of like a rescue center for for the poor people in the bottoms. They've changed all that now. Uh, and so they would have various things. And they advertised in the churches that they needed somebody to teach a Bible class. Well, uh, the pastor didn't get anybody to respond. Well, I was on the fire department. I was painting on my days off. And I knew I was, I was trying to get back in serving the Lord and all that. Well, I went and said, well, I'll do it. I don't know a whole lot, but I'll, I'll do it. I want to teach a class, a class of boys, teach a Bible class. So I said, yeah, I said, you can do it. And I said, well, uh, it was on a Monday, I think. And I talked to the fire department, and they, they were willing to let me get off if I was on duty for a couple of hours and go there and teach that class so I could be there every Monday. And I made arrangements. Then when I was working for myself, I just didn't work. I took off. And so I went out and I started teaching a Bible class. Well, I was teaching them what the gospel was. I was teaching them about salvation. Well, I had about 12 boys. Most of them were black. Uh, and I got really attached to them. I think they like me too. And uh, we'd have, I had them, every one of them could tell you how to be saved. And every one of them could recite the gospel. I thought that's pretty good. But one day, there was a fellow in a three-piece suit that sat in that, it was a big room where it was at class. And he sat back and he was listening to me. Well, that's all right. I went ahead. Uh, and after it was over, he came up to me, introduced himself. He was reverend. I knew this problem was right there, but he's Reverend Kokenauer. Uh, and he was pastor of the Pleasant, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Keene, Kentucky. And uh, he said, I've just been listening to your class. He said, uh, you did a good job. That's good. He said, but I, I have some constructive criticism for you. I said, let me have it. I'm all ears. I need to learn everything I can. He said, well, I think if you just back up a little bit, I think you're 
jamming too much scripture down them. I said, man, let me tell you something. That's all I've got. And I said, no, I won't back up one word. Then during the next week, one of those women called me. And said, Mr. Gump said, we appreciate your efforts and what you're doing and all. He said, but we'd like to ask you if you would take uh, about half of your class time and begin to work with these boys and teach them how to play ball. I said, ma'am, let me tell you something. I'm not a ball player. I said, I won't give you one minute of my Bible teaching time. And it wasn't just a couple of days I got another call. We're rescheduling and we won't be needing you now. Yeah, that's, that's their problem. Uh, I've been advised by several preachers like that through the years. Tone it down. Cut it back. I don't think I have. I haven't meant to if I have. You all let me know if you ever hear me cutting it back. Uh, and, I, and I'll do something about that. But anyway, Paul tells them what the gospel is. Now there's not a handful of people. And all these churches in Fayette County, all these churches all around, I'll guarantee you, you could stand out there and do a survey, interview people as they come out of church services, and ask them to give you the definition of the gospel. And I'll guarantee you there wouldn't be a handful of them in all of the churches that could give you the definition of the gospel. And here it is. This is the definition of the gospel. Now, people say, we're going to go to a gospel thing. What they mean is they're going to go listen to heaven. Or listen to a family reunion. Or something like that. Not much gospel singing is about the gospel. Some of it is. But then people say, well, what's the gospel? Oh, the Bible. No, the Bible is not the gospel. The gospel is its own set of facts, and here it is. How that Christ died for our sins. Now, he is not giving this to the world. This is to the church at Corinth. And he says plainly, That you have received about the gospel. I received it first and you have received it. So it does not apply outside of that context. How that Christ died for our sins. People take that and quote it to the world and it doesn't fit. It does not apply. Jesus Christ did not die for the, all the sins of all mankind. And anybody that says that, that he did, they're telling a big fat lie and they're preaching heresy. He says, how 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You can't leave that out. And that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. Those are the facts of the gospel. Plus nothing, minus nothing. The definition of the gospel, and it's all about Christ. Now, who is Christ? He's the Christos, that's Greek, the anointed one of God, the Messiah. How that Christ died for all of the sins of all of his people. And it says he rose the third day. That doesn't mean that it was less than 72 hours. It's just a brief way of saying 72 hours. Why? We've got other scripture that tells us that. We've got Matthew 12 that tells us that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, and I don't have any qualms about calling that fish a whale. A whale is a fish in my book. It may not be in Linnaeus, Carlos Linnaeus, the one who categorized all the animals, but he did that about 1,800 years later. And God is not bound by his taxonomy. Uh, As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, even so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And this is the only sign that's going to be given. Now, I like the law first mentioned. Some, some kind of don't like that, but I, I like that. I think the law of first mention has some weight in the Bible as you're interpreting the Bible. But when he says this is the only sign that will be given you, my opinion, you ought to play, pay close attention to it. Wouldn't that be reasonable? This is the only sign that you're going to be given. Don't run roughshod over it. Emphasize it. Now, I'm saying that to everybody. As Jonah was there, three twelves and three twelves. That amounts to 72. There's no way you can rest that or spin that to get away from 72 hours which eliminates the gigantic celebration from Roman Catholicism to all of so called Christianity of the resurrection so called of Christ and they take it from Friday to Sunday morning which is only half the amount of time that Jesus said it will be. And you don't come here and make Paul contradict what Jesus said. So when Jesus said the only sign is 72 hours, there's no way you can celebrate his resurrection from Friday evening to Sunday morning. But what that does 
That puts you out of the swing of things. And not many preachers want to get out of the swing of things. Because they'll get booted out or lose too many members over that. Because people expect to have something to do in their religion. Well, anyway. These facts are not about you. They're not about me. They're not about a church. They're not about all Christianity. They're only facts about the second person of the triune Godhead who is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who is the Savior of his people. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And these facts are all about what he did accomplishing redemption for his people. Now, as evidence of that, now I realize this is 2,000 years ago. But we've got evidence. We've got more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, they don't even know how Alexander the Great was killed. And he just lived a couple hundred years before this. It's not ancient, ancient times. There's a whole lot about back then that they're not sure of. But we've got more attested to witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other, any other fact I know of. He said, first, he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Well, look at uh, John 21. Verse 14, there's other scriptures, there's just one. 21, 14 of John. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. Well, he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that was the third time he showed himself to them. Now, if this isn't true, if Jesus didn't arise from the dead bodily, physically, then you've got Peter and the rest of the apostles, with the exception of Judas, that were persecuted and died martyrs' deaths, witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that's what they were called to do, pointed to do by God, to be witnesses of the resurrection. Now, that is a, a light to tease, where you, 
a part for the whole or a whole for the part, the resurrection would be a part for the whole. When you say the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you include the complete criteria of the gospel. And that's what they were primarily called to do, the, the apostles, to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, every one of them, I said with the exception of Judas, Iscariot, died martyrs' deaths, beheaded, burned alive, Peter crucified upside down. Would you permit yourself to be burned alive testifying to a lie? I wouldn't. I don't think anybody else would. So, then he says, after that, verse 6, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Uh, look at Matthew 28. This may be the reference. Verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, above 500 brethren at once. You know, you get two or three guys and they rob somebody, rape, murder somebody. Do you know how they end up finding finding them the majority of times? One of them talks. And then when that one talks, then they get the others to talk and then they try then they're trying to throw each other under the bus so they don't get such a big sentence themselves. That's the majority of times. Now what if a big fraudulent lie is being perpetrated? Do you think that you could get over 500 people to agree to that lie without them telling the truth? Neither then nor now could you do that. So these are pretty substantial witnesses. Uh, and is it also, now, the book of 1 Corinthians, eh, I'm not exactly sure when it was written. Uh, somewhere about uh, 62, somewhere's about there. They don't, they don't even give you the dates. Uh, but it's somewhere along that way. About 60, you brethren agree with that? Somewhere's there about 60 A.D. Well, if it's 60, let's we'll say 62, let's just say 63, make my math a lot easier. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again and ascended about the year 33 A.D. 
So to 63, that's 30 years later. Now, kind of a sad note. I turned the clock back 30 years. You all do the same thing in your mind. Turn the clock back 30 years. And how many people that you can think of are dead now that was alive and well back then? I mean, there's a whole host of them. 30 years will wipe a bunch of people out. But here you've got of that 500, above 500 people, he said, the greater part remain under this. 30 years later, most of them are still alive. They ain't going to hold on to a lie that long. It wasn't a lie. But he says, some are falling asleep. Well, I think we're safe enough to say that that falling asleep, it's kind of final. It's the same sleep. Uh, Lazarus, behold, he sleepeth, but he spoke of his death, is what it, John 11. So when a child of God dies, they're said to be sleeping. Well, why, why is that for a child of God? Well, oh, death, where is thy sting? Well, you just think about sleeping. Boy, to be able to fall asleep and get a good night's sleep with no problem, that's really nice, isn't it? Very pleasant. And when you fall asleep, if you're like normal people, some people want to fall asleep and not wake up for a long time. There's a time to eat. But we fall asleep in, in the Lord. We're expecting a resurrection. That gets us right here. So that's what means falling asleep. And after that he was seen of James, half-brother of Jesus, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also. That's Paul. Now, when did Paul see Jesus? On the road to Damascus. And then he was personally tutored by Jesus in the Arabian desert for three years, wasn't it? So, he said, me as of one born out of due time. Well, that's the language for having a miscarriage, a woman having a miscarriage. And Paul was not one of the original apostles. He hadn't even been saved then. But he is, he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and that's why he constantly asserted his authority, called of God to be an apostle. All right, so he said, as one was born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or suitable to be called an apostle. Now that's his modesty talking. Because I persecuted the church of God. What well, he's talking about his past. Uh, all of us have a past. Paul had a pretty ignominious past because he persecuted the church of God. Now, we know what he did. 
when he had Stephen stoned to death or authorized it. What church of God did he persecute? The one in Jerusalem. He is not saying, I persecuted the church. That does not exist in the scripture. It only exists in those who deny the Lord's church. Oh, the church doing the church is doing this. Well, I would, I think I know what they mean, some of them anyway. I would say that Christianity at large would not say the church. There is no such thing as the church unless you're talking about a specific church. All right, so, but Paul puts a little proviso here. He is modest. He is shamefaced because of his past. And he doesn't like his past. But he gives you a proviso. Though he had that past, God has put him where he is. He said, I'm not going to let that destroy me. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So God's grace has intervened and put me where I, though I know I don't deserve it, and I'll tell you what, any one of us, I love the statement you make, how are you doing? Much better than I deserve. If you mean that, that is a wonderful statement. It really is. It's a true statement. We don't deserve much of anything except for the condemnation of our sins, but Jesus Christ has already paid for them and given us a home in heaven. And so, say, well, I'm nothing. Don't say that. He didn't redeem nothing. Jesus didn't redeem nothing. He didn't call nothing to serve him. He didn't call nothing to give him, give him or her a promise of everlasting life in heaven with him. So we're not nothing. We're something. And the truth is, nobody is nothing. Matter of fact, that's when Jesus said, call no man fool. Because what that means there is that you worthless fella, that you don't have any reason to exist. Well, people say that about others. Adolf Hitler said it about the Jews and about blacks and about others. Wasn't true. Nobody is a nothing. God doesn't send somebody to hell to burn for eternity. That's nothing. They're there receiving it. Anyway, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Some people, oh, I, I'm, I'm no good. I'm not... Well, you mean God gave you his grace for nothing? That's not that's what Paul says, no. But I labor more abundantly than they all. Don't matter his work. You can't fathom what Paul accomplished during his life and the way he had to accomplish it. But he said, yet not I, still not taking credit, but the grace of God which was with me. 
Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. And so that's, that's the history of these Corinthian brethren that Paul is writing to. That's how they got to where they are. That's how he got to where he is. And the end result is now, verse 12, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, here's a problem. Church of Corinth had a lot of doctrinal problems. And this is not the smallest of them right here. They've got some denying the resurrection of the dead. Now, so are there people today that do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jehovah's False Witnesses, they say that Jesus came spiritually in 1914. They don't teach a bodily resurrection. They teach a spiritual re resurrection. And so do many of the other, most of the other cults. Uh, some say there won't be any. Do you know that, that the Orthodox Jews believe in a resurrection? I don't know what kind. But, but the other bunch of Jews, the liberal ones, they don't even believe in God. Their Jewishness is their religion. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that have a rough time with that. Now, liberals have a rough time with that. We know the finality of death. We see someone dead in a coffin. Generally, that's where we see dead people. And we know that that dead person is not going to come back like that. And yet, we, if they're saved, we plant them in hope of the resurrection. Now, the rest of this chapter gets into all of the different aspects about that. Uh, about the resurrection but he says now if how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if Christ arose that's proof positive that his people will rise also that's his precious promise of one of them and so how can you talk about that because if there be no resurrection of the dead, and there he's talking about our resurrection, then is Christ not risen? If it's true that there's no resurrection of his people, then Christ did not arise from the dead. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, empty, and your faith is also empty. If Christ didn't arise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. We don't have a salvation. So everything about the gospel is absolutely necessary to be true. And without it, we have nothing. We'll take the rest of it next time. May the Lord bless you all.